You're listening to the Lean Six Sigma for Good podcast. We help you learn how Lean and Six Sigma concepts can be applied to nonprofits, NGOs, and not-for-profit organizations. Visit us at LeanSixSigmaForGood.com. So I've got Amanda Zimmerman here. Uh, We met when you were transitioning from um, Houston to Portland, I believe. Is that when we connected? Yeah, kind of. I was consulting ago. in Houston. Yeah, I was consulting in Texas and uh, visiting Portland or staying in Portland in between. Yeah, I left my job in July of 2017. I think I oh, okay. talked before that, maybe 2016 when maybe you were back in town for something. Yeah, possibly. Something. I don't recall. Yeah. Yeah, so I wanted to talk a little bit about um, some of our early discussions around lean in the environment, lean six sigma in the environment, in the environment, and then um, yeah, just some other experiences you had, and even your travel and your travel book, which I went through, was awesome. good. <laughs> and um, yeah, just what you're planning to do with uh, as a new consultant. So yeah, I, I think we met actually. Um, I was working on my global MBA from Imperial College of London. Uh, I had started that. I don't know, three or four years ago. Yeah, and I graduated last year in 2019, and I think I reached out to you because I was really interested in the connection between Lean Six Sigma and sustainability. Um, and mm-hmm. so since you were, when I, when I do any searches, you're pretty much at the top of that list, uh, getting the chance to talk oh, to you cool. and getting a better idea of how you're um, exploring that field. Uh, was fascinating to me and and helped kind of move some of my ideas forward, as well as you gave me a lot of good reading tips on on places that I could find more information. So um, yeah, so I, I had reached out to you as I was working on on my MBA, and I think that's when we first met, uh, as I was doing consulting in Texas at the time. Yeah, so I, I started my career actually in Bakersfield, California, uh, in. I actually went to school to be a history teacher. In 2005, I graduated with my bachelor's. And uh, it turned out that children in large quantities were not going to work out for me. So uh, I had to kind of come up with a backup plan. And I would tell people, though, in defense of history degrees, it is a degree where you are vetting and organizing facts to tell a story. So in terms of Lean Six Sigma, to me, it's actually got a lot of um, connections to Lean and Six Sigma. But at the time, I, I wasn't sure where to go from there, so I ended up pestering a bunch of temp agencies until one actually sent me out to a company called Key Energy. I ended up spending six years there. That's where I was first introduced to Lean and Six Sigma. They had a small department. Um, and at the time for Six Sigma, uh, Sally Ullman with Variance Reduction International, she owned it at the time. Uh, really seemed to be kind of a, the lead thinker or the one that brought Six Sigma out into the oil and gas industry in California. And so she was the one offering trainings out there. So I got the opportunity to do training through Key Energy uh, with Sally, got my green belt, moved into Lean Six Sigma positions, and uh, got to learn a lot from her, eventually getting my master black belt. And um, so I stayed there for about six years, as I said. And in 2011, my partner of 10 years passed away unexpectedly uh, right at Christmas. And Sally, I hadn't spoke to in a while, but she actually ended up messaging me about two weeks later and asked me if I was interested in consulting in Angola. So at the time, I was kind of a small town girl from uh, 
uh, perspective of I hate flying, but decided to go ahead and take a chance and go to Angola, which my friends and, and family thought I was kind of crazy for. And I ended up, I ended up working there uh, with their offshore operations in oil and gas for about five years, actually. Uh, and I did probably over 50 projects there uh, in Lean Six Sigma, mostly Six Sigma-focused projects around reliability. Before I decided uh, that it was time for another change, I started working, like I said, on my MBA, as well as doing lean projects in, uh, in the U.S. and Europe. So uh, that's kind of where my career started. And then I had the chance actually to move to Portland about two years ago and become a continuous improvement or actually quality and Lean Six Sigma manager for a company in town, NWEA. And that was a really exciting opportunity that I loved. Uh, but something else came along that I had been working on for many years that was really hard to get, which was an opportunity to work in McMurdo Station, Antarctica. So I actually just got back from that about a month and a half ago. And uh, that's how I ended up kind of in Portland, uh, starting to get back into consulting through beautiful opportunities. Cool. Let's start with uh, Angola. Um, where is it for people who don't know? And uh, how was that experience? Um, that must have been, yeah, quite a, quite a change of what you're used to. Yeah, I, I think that's a good, that's a good point um, that I often forget. Is a lot of people don't know where Angola is. It's not like a common one that comes up uh, when you're doing geography. It's actually uh, near the Congos in Africa. So it's just north of Namibia and just west of the Congo. So uh, it's definitely a lot different than where I grew up in Bakersfield, California. Um, and it was a really exciting opportunity for me because it was really a blending of so many different cultures. So I got to do training, uh, project mentoring, uh, project uh, execution with people from all over the world with all different types of backgrounds, whether you mean like leadership from like VPs to operators from people who maybe didn't even have a high school education to people that had PhDs. Um, it was a really exciting opportunity to just get to interact with a large group of people from different backgrounds and trying to get projects together that are really going to have an impact. So as I said, Six Sigma seems to be more um, popular, I would say, in oil and gas than maybe uh, lean tools or lean projects. So a lot of the projects that I worked on there were reliability and maintenance focused. And I know you'd mentioned, um, Brian, about some of the environmental projects maybe that I had taken on there. And um, yeah, sure. yeah, in looking at those, I, I, I kind of looked through some of the different projects I did. And the ones that I think probably in my career will be the largest impacts in terms of environment are going to be the ones that I did probably in Angola um, around flaring. So one of the things that, that sometimes was an indirect benefit or sometimes was specifically what we were targeting was reducing flaring. So that's where natural gas is burned off, uh, which obviously releases carbon just like if you were going to use it. But instead of using it, you might see at any refinery or a place where they're producing oil and gas, you'll see that flare, that uh, flame continuously burning. So uh, I had a project there actually that indirectly we ended up reducing flaring significantly just because we did a 5S project where we found a piece of equipment that otherwise we didn't even know that was there. 
So we would have spent six weeks trying to expedite this piece of equipment to get it in, and instead we found it, had no idea it was there, and ended up, ended up being able to use it to replace a piece of equipment that crashed. So um, that was one, I think that was about $1.9 million that we, we benefited from being able to have that piece of equipment ready so quickly, which meant we reduced flaring. Another project that we did was specifically looking at the stability uh, and identifying out of like all the flaring events, what were the different reasons for all the flaring events, and how could we identify those root causes and then eliminate or reduce them. And that project had a benefit of something like $25 million. So for me, like, I think of like oil and gas and like I'd like to, to associate myself or align myself more with the things that I see value in. Um, but probably actually the projects that I'd have the biggest opportunity to environmentally impact um, or projects that would have like an environmental impact benefit would have been those projects that were in oil and gas that were quite large. Yeah. What is flaring exactly? So is, is that they're overproducing and they don't have a need for it, so they're burning it off? Is that, uh, yeah, that can be one know, reason. Like, I mean, it, it could be part of the way it was designed. Maybe they don't have a way to actually produce that. Uh, it could also be like, hey, it's better to keep it in the reservoir than it is to have it come up. There might be ways that they can control that too, I believe. Um, mostly the petroleum engineers handled a lot of the hard questions around flaring. But I think one would be the process design. Two would be the process upset. So on occasion you might see if you're near a refinery or something, a day when the flare is a lot bigger. And that's generally going to be due to some kind of upset within the plant that didn't allow them to produce that, that gas. Because essentially all of that's money that's burning up for them. So there's a value right. for them to not do it, but sometimes just the way it's designed, they're not actually able to produce that. When you started these projects, what level had you gotten to with Six Sigma? Were you still Greenbelt at that point, or were you further along when you went there? No, I was a, I was a master black belt at that point. Um, at that point, okay. And Yeah, yeah, and working with other master black belts there, uh, which was exciting. I mean, it's always an amazing opportunity to learn from others. And uh, I, really, I really benefited a lot from having our schedule, which was a month on and a month off. So every time I walked away from my job, somebody else came in, which means that they had a different perspective, they had different tools that they were comfortable with, and then I would come back in and have to pick up whatever they had started. So for me, it was actually a great learning experience in addition because they may have used tools I wouldn't normally use, or they may have gone in different directions, and just trying to understand that there's not always one solution to these projects, that there, there are multiple different types of Lean Six Sigma tools that we could use to make improvements and see the improvements that we're looking for. How did that work logistically with um, where you were living? Did you travel there? Were you living in two places or you had a month off in Angola that you were traveling around or just getting settled? Well, uh, How did that work? Yeah, as soon as I decided to go to Angola, I actually gave everything up, my apartment and everything, put everything in storage, became one of those people who, who just had a, a storage unit as an address. And um, the first time I was off, rather than flying all the way back to the U.S., uh, the first month off I stayed in Europe. 
Uh, I'd stayed in Australia. So each kind of month off, I, I'd fly somewhere new and uh, experience that place. And then Angola was kind of the home base that I would go back to every month or every other month. Cool. Yeah, it was a great opportunity. And, and like I said, for me, um, you know, in my personal life, kind of I, I'd started over, um, not because I wanted to, but just because of the way the circumstances were. So yeah. for me, going to Angola and getting the chance to travel really was incredibly transformative. So, um, you know, when I think of Lean Six Sigma, it's quite, quite hard for me sometimes to separate the benefits at home with the benefits that are abroad. Because I use define, measure, analyze, improve, control in everything I do I feel like every day. There's lean tools that I feel like I use every single day, right? So I mean, whether you're talking yeah. about business and aligning yourself with value there or personally aligning yourself with the things that you find value in, you know, either way, I, I just have such a passion for Lean Six Sigma and, and for really genuinely knowing that it can improve the way that we do our work. Yeah, I think every day, you know, you start noticing, hey, this works in lots of different areas, and you know, I keep thinking I'm going to run into the situation where this doesn't apply or doesn't make sense. But I'm like, mm -hmm. I just can't imagine where you wouldn't see the ability to collect data and look at waste and how that and better organization, like all that, just is rampant everywhere. Just things will naturally degrade away from that. So, yeah, I just. I don't think there's going to be a situation where, oh, that doesn't apply, or there isn't something that could be, you know, adopted to make that fit that situation. Definitely. And I think it's funny because, you know, for me, I started my career since I started in oil and gas. That's not manufacturing. And I quite often get, like, these questions around, well, you know, that's manufacturing. That's not going to work here. This is software, or this is you know, whatever type of production you're doing, it's not, it's not going to work. This is our finance department. You know, it doesn't make sense. But <laughs> no matter what you do, once you start to open people up to the tools and to present them, you know, the, the different intent behind the tools and how they can utilize them, it, it's surprising how many people are able to just take them and run with them, um, you know, and kind of leave that idea that they're somehow associated with one industry or one type of work, um, you know, leaving that behind. Uh, and I think that that's an exciting shift that's happening within Lean Six Sigma overall, is getting it into so many different industries. Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, people are looking for that experience to say, well, they need to know my, our industry to know how to help us. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think there is some value to that to a point, but I think I spent so many years in aerospace, I felt like towards the end I was starting to become part of the, you know, this infrastructure, right? And I don't think mm -hmm. I was as good at kind of challenging stuff because I kind of accepted a lot of the things. Oh, that takes so long. You have to get these approvals. Like I felt like I was starting to become uh, too ingrained and mm -hmm. less likely to identify some of the opportunities uh, because of that. So I think somewhere... You know, a little experience to be able to talk the language, but not too much where you're, you know, just saying, oh, this can't be done or there's no way around it or just feeling, you know, defeated by the, the industry itself. Yeah, it's, and it's funny how you see Lean Six Sigma people, like as awesome as it is to have these teams that are long-term within these different companies, 
you also, you get very complacent. You get very acceptive of like, well, this is the way it's always been. We can't change this. There's nothing we can do about it. We tried two years ago. You know, and I see myself do that. Like I said, I, I was in Angola for five years and at Key Energy for six years. And, you know, you start to get that talk unintentionally, just saying like this can't be done. And, um, yeah, you really have to be careful with that in Lean Six Sigma. And I see a huge value also to, to being those fresh eyes that have to say, well, why are you doing this, right? Because I always like when someone new comes on the team, or like the newest employee on the team, and they're like, well, why are we doing it this way? You know, or like where did that come from? And it turns out it's like some system they bought three years ago that they don't even use, and for some reason this was a rule that was still around. You know, um, yep. it, it's funny those challenges that we miss when we get kind of yeah, complacent. Yeah, and you think that we're we're so good at spotting this stuff, but when it's in our own processes, I think we, mm -hmm. we easily mm -hmm. get blinded by that too. You know, and um, I catch myself doing something. I'm like, you know, I've been doing this for years like this. Why aren't I? Why aren't I able to identify that and resolve that? You know. It's, Someone mm -hmm. could easily have watched me for 10 minutes and just said something, you know, and I would have been <laughs> too close to it, basically. Even see it yeah, or even scorecarding. I think, you know, I'm so passionate about getting people to use scorecards and getting some data that they look at routinely, whether it's weekly or monthly or quarterly. And then, you know, for myself, I'm like, well, do I really need to write it down? You know, but yes, yes, the answer is yes. You really need to write down what your goals are and align yourself to that because that's what you're going to move towards. I had that discussion with um, my wife here. She, we were talking about, you know, just business stuff and um, trying to explain to her what I do. And um, she's got a little bit more time now that she's um, learning some of it. And as I'm explaining it and talking through this, I'm like, you know what, we should really be doing this ourselves. Like, uh, walking the talk, right, and and we should measure what's important to us. And so we've been actually doing that mm -hmm. for the last couple of months, and it's been good to have that kind of forced discussion, but uh, getting in the habit of just every week sitting down and talking through that, what's our score this week, you know, and on these different categories. And um, But the other part of me is like, why haven't I been doing this for 20 years now? I should have been <laughs> tracking progress on things that are important to me. <laughs> so, you know, I recommend yeah. those types of things in a process, but I don't even do it myself. So I really think there's that. Yeah. yeah, just like adding up my bills and saying, okay, so I want to reduce these by 5%. And there's like 80 things that you can do to reduce your bills, you know, by, by yeah. a small amount each month if you want to take the time to actually look at it and, and take some action on it. And, and sometimes that's the hard part is actually taking the action. I'm just like, I'm sure the organizations that you've been in and that I've been in, is that you know you have a lot of people with a lot of ideas, but actually taking action on those and moving them forward can be really challenging. Yeah, that's a perfect example. Like the bills, we all know that we could sit down and organize our bills, and probably find some things that we could cut down and reduce. But that takes work, and we're all busy, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. um, and that's exactly what we deal with this work too. Is people are busy, and they've got overload of, of things. So if they have the time. You know, it's not complicated sometimes. Maybe it is pretty easy if they just were able to make that first step. But since I've been a consultant, I think, on my own, I think I've really noticed the uh, lack of things that I'm doing in my own personal life that I should mm -hmm. be doing. <laughs> That's been good. <laughs> the graph. I need more graphs at home. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs>
I have actually the last like, I guess it's been about four years now, I have a post-it activity that I do at home where I brainstorm kind of all the different things that I'd like to accomplish or different pieces because sometimes like there's such large goals it's hard to break them down into smaller things. So, you know, rather than saying like, hey, I want to do stuff with whales because I'm really into cetacean uh, groups, you know, like the first thing is, hey, I'm going to go to a talk, right? So I might put some of those things up there and then I prioritize them. I choose only the top three, and I just focus on trying to accomplish like those small top three goals. And I've been doing that for about three or four years, and I found a lot of success in just you know dwindling things down, looking at it impact versus effort, looking at what I'm interested in, and then prioritizing just a few goals at a time to go after. Yeah, I think that's that's so important. I mean, I, I think I, I, for years, used the action item list approach mm, yeah. and kept yeah. trying to find new ways of making that work, and I could never really, you know, get it something usable because uh, it just would just <laughs> balloon into this monster thing after a while. Um, so, yeah. Mine's 100 I'm long, I think, right now, Mike. And so now, like last year or two, I've been using more of uh, trying to use the Kanban approach. Uh, I have a digital mm -hmm. version I use, but um, limiting like the, the major. I'm using it more for projects instead of daily actions. Mm -hmm. so I still have like a short list of things I, I want to get done in the day, but trying to switch to what are major projects. You know, that'll take maybe a couple days or a week or so. Try to limit that a little bit, and then put all those other things on the backlog and try not mm -hmm. to think about it, but just document it because that's what I'm, I think I was most afraid of is losing the idea. And now I, I log the idea, stick it in the backlog, and if it's really important, it'll probably mm -hmm. um, come back up relatively soon and show up on my list at some point. And if it's not, I know it's always in there. For if I ever run out of things to do or ideas, I can go back to that list. But um, some I may never get to. But I think that's really helped me a lot trying to, not feel overwhelmed by all the things I want to do. And I think there's an important piece there, whether it's at home or uh, whether it's at work. And I definitely try to do it as much as I can with, with the prioritizations that I do, um, is whenever you complete an item, is to really celebrate that and acknowledge it. I know for me, uh, I tend to go, okay, so what's the next goal? That one's done, let me move on. Yep. But I actually started <laughs> using a journal so that I take that post-it, I put it in the journal, and I write a page about like, hey, I did this, I accomplished this, and I'm, I'm going to take a moment to enjoy that, right, rather than to just jumping to the next thing because there's such a value in us celebrating those moments and not just jumping on to the next. Um, you know, there, yeah. there's value as, as people, the, the way that that resonates with us. And I think that's to me Lean Six Sigma too is why we try to do these projects that are incremental so that we have that moment afterwards to be like, hey, we, we improved this by 10% or by 5%. Let's give ourselves a pat on the back for a moment before we move on and take on that next step and give people a chance to celebrate that they've actually made a change, that they've actually, you know, done something that they've worked really hard for. Yeah, absolutely. No, you're right. It's easy to just kind of yeah check off the list and move on. But yeah, and you had and a, for me, a book released recently, so that's a big uh, accomplishment. Is that something you? Yeah, that was a bunch of post-its. Summary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a bunch of post-its for a long time. Different goals I was work working towards, trying to kind of summarize 
things that I've learned and experienced over you know, six or seven years of travel. I've been to 50 countries, all seven continents. Like I said, a lot of that was uh, you know, dealing with grief, learning how to overcome those things, but also kind of learning about yourself. And, and you know, solo travel for me has been so empowering. And uh, sharing some of those tips with people just on what to do and what not to do, um, that makes it just a little bit easier. I know I'm really passionate about Arctic and Antarctic explorers. So uh, Roald Amundsen has a great quote that he says, adventure is just bad planning. And so I think that resonates with me so much. You know, if you, if you want to have an adventure, you can plan less and, and definitely have an exciting vacation. But if that's not what you're looking for, then you, know, you need to do a lot of planning. And it's the same in the work we do, right, is uh, our outputs are a function of our inputs. Yeah, it's, it's an exciting adventure to be able to share those tips in Travel Attic, uh, which is the book, the e-book I just published last week. Are you looking for Lean or Six Sigma certification programs? check out sigma.us. I'm actually one of the Master Black Belt instructors. We offer computer-based online webinar and classroom training in Green Belt, Black Belt, Master Black Belt, and Lean Agent training. Complete an improvement project and achieve your certification. Visit sigma.us for available classes near you or search for online classes that fit your schedule. Want to better organize your work area or bring 5S methods into your organization? Check out the 5S Guide from Creative Safety Supply. You also get three free bonuses. Bonus number one, free 5S poster. Bonus number two, free 5S PowerPoint. And bonus number three, free 5S audit card. Go to leansixsigmaforgood.com slash 5S for the free downloads. They also provide floor tape markings, labels, signs, foam tool organizers, red tags, label printers, and other organization tools. Make sure you use code BPI at checkout to save 10%. I think a lot of people think about things being really like structured, and mm -hmm. you know, especially you get talking to people in research and development in some of those areas where like we don't have really structured processes, or you know, I don't want to get to a point where I'm yeah, I have a detailed itinerary nailed down and a checklist of everything I accomplish <laughs> and times nailed down, and I yeah, I, I tell people like you don't have to, this is not something you have to apply to every single thing. You, you know, like a good example is that travel, you know, mm -hmm. I don't want it to be structured. I want it to be loose. Mm -hmm. we, we traveled California. We had no plan because I wanted to be flexible. I wanted to have that agility yeah. to go and say, oh, we want to stay two days here or uh, let's get out of here. I don't like it. Um, let's go somewhere else. Oh, what's this off to the right? I don't want to feel structured by that. That doesn't mean that's wrong. It's just what are you trying to get out of it and then say, do I need uh, the structure there or not? And like I so said, maybe that is the right outcome is I don't want the structure. I want to see where this takes us. Well, and it's all about aligning yourself to your values, right? So what are you looking to get out of it? You know, if you're looking to, I need to see, when I first went to London and Paris and I hadn't traveled anywhere, I had every day of those 10 days planned. I wanted to see everything I could because I didn't know that I'd ever come back. But now that's not the, what I'm getting out of it. I'm getting the chance to just walk around somewhere completely new and take in all the smells and the sights and the sounds. And sometimes just that freedom of relaxing in a new place or, or kind of wandering for a bit, getting the chance to kind of learn from new people, to not know what's next. I know 
Um, I, I traveled with a friend a few years ago through Europe, and um, she planned everything in England and Scotland to the letter, which was great. It was fine, but I said, we're going to go to Ireland for a day on St. Patrick's Day, and we're not going to plan anything. And we ended up, the waitress that we had ended up inviting us to her condo where she had a party just uh, outside of um, St. Patrick's Cathedral where we got to watch the parade, uh, the, the lead, the St. Patrick, the St. Patrick guy in the parade ended up coming to the apartment afterwards. Um, so, you know, we couldn't have ever had that experience if we had sat there and bought tickets for the bleachers. You know, so, so you have to decide, you know, there's a level of risk there, too. You know, you had that risk that, yeah. hey, we could have been part of the crowd trying to look over everybody's head. So yep. <laughs> you just got to decide what type of adventure you're willing to take on, you know. And, and for the Antarctic and the Arctic explorers, those, those risks were quite high. So it's, it's quite fascinating to me to see the ways that they implemented efficiency that I would even argue, like lean tools. Um, to make their their expeditions more efficient. How about setting up an uh, organization? So at NWA, or just in general when you've gone into um, a new place, what are some of the things you look for or hope to set up? Or what do you look for first? What are some of the, your kind of uh, thoughts on um, kind of building up the culture? Do you do um, certain types of training first? How do you approach it from a leadership um, side of it? Can you talk me through just kind of your approach, and maybe this kind of falls in under your new consulting, but what would an engagement look like? Or You know, especially coming in as a consultant, one of the most important things that you're going to need or be looking for is that management commitment to change. Uh, and, and really getting an idea, not just, okay, we want to implement continuous improvement, but what does that mean for you? What are the things that you want to see? What does a, a good day look like? What does a bad day look like? Are there any specific goals that you're going after that you want to see change? Is there data for that? Who would we talk to uh, to have that data? What do those cross-functional teams look like? So the first thing that I really want to understand is what that organization sees as value. Once I see what that organization sees as value, then we can start developing a plan in terms of how to uh, improve and get the efficiency that we're looking for within that organization. Because what you see over and over again are these organizations that have these islands of efficiency, but they're not effective. They're not actually moving the dial on the specific thing that's important to the management team or to the organization or essentially to the customer. Um, and whether that's nonprofit or whether that's um, a for-benefit corporation or a benefit corporation, right? It, regardless of that, you, you, you are going to have some kind of customer or person or, or organization that you're serving. Right? So really understanding what that benefit is that you're providing so that we can make improvements on that first is, is what I'm going to be focused on. The second thing is going to be understanding the organization as a whole. So what does that culture look like? Is it a culture that shuts down its employees when it shares um, uh, issues and mistakes or failures? Is it an organization that uh, embraces that? Right? So if you're looking at an organization that actually needs to go through a culture shift to adopt continuous improvement, then that's going to be a an engagement that might be longer term that will definitely need uh, management buy-in, but it will also need the bottom-up, the other people in the organization to build that trust and excitement and energy 
that we can actually turn that ship, that we can actually make those um, goals that we seek out to. So I think one of the things that, that I really bring to the table in the organizations that I've worked in is over and over again I hear, you know, what makes you different? What, why, um, you know, we've had all these consultants in or we have different people come in and we just haven't achieved the benefit that we're looking for. We haven't got it off the ground. People aren't excited. And you know, for me, a lot of it's about being persistent, about not letting people's excuses or frustrations uh, keep you from thinking that this is something that, that can be achieved. I know when I worked uh, with a refinery in Texas, one of the first things I heard was, hey, you guys have been here for you know, a year and nothing's changed. And so I had stepped into the engagement that, that a team had already been in there. And uh, you know, it took probably three to six months for that team to trust me. But once we actually started to see the changes that we were looking for, that team gets an entirely different perspective on the engagement. Also, if you start to find out what's important to the teams you're working in. So one of the first things that I like to do are day in the life observations. We're actually going out with some of the key employees and sitting down and observing what they do all day. I mean, from the time that they arrive to work to the time that they go home. And inevitably, at the beginning of the day, what I hear people say is, you know, everything's great, I'm fine, I don't know why you're here, da-da-da-da-da. But as long as you keep an open mind and you keep them talking and interested, and, and that you're genuinely interested in understanding what's going on with them, I'll often ask them questions like, um, what makes you excited to come to work every day? Right? And, and some people say, oh, it's the team I work with. Oh, I like finishing these jobs. Right? So, so you can get an idea of how happy the person is in their current position. I also like to ask them things like, uh, what improvements do you see? And at the beginning of the day, and I've been doing this since I started in, in oil and gas and driving a Prius up to a rig in, in Taft, um, you know, what is it that you know, we can do or what ideas do you have to improve? And at the beginning, they'll always say, oh, there's nothing. Right? They'll kind of shut you down and walk away. But then throughout the day, as they see that you're committed, that you're interested, that, the, that you're not there to audit them or inspect them or tell them what they're doing wrong, um, they'll actually come to you with these great ideas like, hey, we're using you know, a wrench to do this when we could be using an impact gun or you know, whatever that tool is that it's like, hey, this team is actually using this and it's way better. Um, and those are little things that you can do to help those teams get better as well as gain their trust so that when you do do harder projects, they're there with you and they're interested. And the improvements that you make are sustainable. I know at the refinery, like I said, they weren't, um, there wasn't a lot of confidence that we were going to be able to achieve the changes that we were looking for. We were asking those teams to really do something incredibly challenging that they did not think was achievable. And while we did achieve our goal, which was reducing work orders by 40%, which was something like 8,000 work orders in a year we eliminated. Oh, man. Um, oh. Yeah, it was a huge amount. But, but that team, one of the, the biggest steps forward that we took at the beginning was I, I went out with a scheduler all day, or a planner. It was a planner. I did a day in the life observation, and I saw he was on the speakerphone all the time. It was really loud. People were coming in and out. Somebody else in the office was on the speakerphone. He had his screen with the work order up, 
Every time he wanted to look at the work order, he had to scroll right and then scroll down rather than having a monitor that fit the whole screen of the work order. So the next few weeks, we actually reorganized where all the planners and schedulers sit. We got people the, the monitors that they needed. We got them headsets. And we came in. It was spring break. And we came in, and it was so quiet. We thought, oh, everybody's off on spring break. But the next week, it was quiet. And the week after, it was quiet. Right? So we, we started seeing an increase in their productivity as we also got things that made their jobs way easier. Yeah, I think that's a great uh, approach. I mean, I think it serves two purposes, too. It's, it's not only building trust, which I think is the, the most important element of that, but, you know, whenever I go into an area, I'm pretty clueless, you know, what they're doing. And mm -hmm. so I am learning by sitting and watching. I get to understand their work so I can actually be helpful to them by okay, now I understand kind of how the flow works, and I kind of understand the type of work you do and the difficulty of it and where there's, you know, challenges and how you make decisions about what work to work on next and where you take things and some of the, you know, you, I think the side conversations that happen and the, um, something will happen that then triggers a comment, you know, like you said, oh, everything's mm -hmm. fine, and then it's kind of like something happens, and then you're there, and you see it, and you ask that question, like, how, what's going on there? What, can you explain that a little bit? Mm -hmm. Oh, every once in a while, this, this seems to keep coming up, and this glitches, or they lose the information. I have to go back and retype it in, and, like, you never, that would never have come up had you not been there sitting and watching, mm -hmm. and then they probably wouldn't have mentioned it because they don't really know why you would want to know something minute like that. It's just how it happens all the time. It's really not that big a deal because it's just used to it now. When I started my career um, at Key Energy, I was actually working for the West Coast Director on a project where we took kind of all this information, we put it into a database that then spit out a scorecard or a, a daily scorecard that management could look at. And I was working with this software guy to, to develop all of this. And if the software developer and the manager sat down together, they couldn't even speak to each other. They had no idea what the other one was trying to communicate. You know, one was saying, I want this chart that's this big and these, you know, that does all of these things. And the other guy is going, what color do you want the font? You know, like they were just on such distinctly different paths. And I think as we work um, as Lean Six Sigma consultants coming in, uh, we get to be, one, the advocate for those people on the front lines. But two, we can start to articulate some of those concerns in ways that they're communicated in management in terms of numbers and data and really speaking uh, those terms that management needs to make decisions about what's right and what's going to be the benefit for the organization if we do move this forward. Um, and some of the, that communication yeah, like of, of barriers. Number of steps that someone's walking, I think that's like something we'll yeah. notice. We'll do the math and say, holy cow, that, you know, they were gone eight minutes between operations. Yeah, isn't that funny? Multiply the math and the manager's like, oh, yeah, that's a no-brainer. Why would we, why don't we pick <laughs> that? But before, they would never, you know, no one sat down and watched or counted, something like that. So yeah. uh, they just think, oh, it's just a, it's just a minor thing, no big deal. But, oh, yeah, over the course of a year, that's, uh, you know, hours and hours of time. Yeah, I had a dispatcher I worked with that he had to, to communicate to all of the pilots of the, the vessels by radio. 
Uh, and all the pilots of the vessels actually had a screen where they could see where all the boats or vessels were. And it, it was like, get this dispatcher, this screen. Like this, this reduces 90% of the radio chatter. Just make his job so much easier. And once they did that, it had, it had such a great improvement. It was so much quieter one in their office. Too, he didn't have to ask all these questions to find out where the boats were. And, and it's funny how those little things just somehow slip through the cracks with all of the other information. I mean, it's just like when we talk about lean and value-added and non-value-added steps, and just trying to see through all the waste to see what is the value. And as you start kind of knocking out those big things that are often somewhat simple, you can start to see the bigger opportunities um, and get people used to you know, capturing data. And let's start talking in terms of numbers. And let's teach those people, those operators, how do they start to be able to articulate this? How do they put that information together? And it, it's exciting to be the one to help them communicate that and to be able to share that because it's a personal um, victory for them as well as professional. And I think that, you know, I, I don't know if you'd asked earlier about working you know, in a nonprofit, but I think when you're looking at implementing Lean Six Sigma, one of the biggest differences that I see is people's work is really aligned to their value system and their personal mm -hmm. uh, value. So I, I think one thing that I um, need to improve on or, or have taken with me in terms of working with a nonprofit is that when you look at some of these challenges, it's not something that the person just sees as this is something frustrating at work. This is something we need to get through at work. It, it actually touches their personal values, and they, they can become quite disheartened and frustrated and depressed, and not just within you know, the confines of the office, but actually taking that home because it's such a, an integral part of who they are. And um, I think that, that just yeah. speaks to, yeah, how we have to really be conscious of, of working with people and their culture, making sure that things are there, that psychological safety is there, making sure that we can show them what that path is to that better place that we're building, that there is a path there, that the future is better than the past, that we are going somewhere positive and they're a part of that. But you know, going through the five stages of grief is something that's normal for anyone going through this type of change, so they're not alone, and it's something that we can talk about. And um, yeah, I think for me that was one of the biggest changes was just seeing how, how personal uh, people took these things because it was so core to their values versus looking at some of these problems um, and, and just seeing that as something that we can work on while we're at work. No, that's a good point, yeah, because I think, you know, in the traditional most for-profit, people don't, I mean, they, they, they're passionate about their work, but I don't think they're taking the mission of the organization home with them, right, where they're feeling that, you know, the, the, the burden there. They're kind of, I think, able, able to separate that a little bit and just say, all right, work's over, I'm going home, to not think about it. But, yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. it does, you can't just shut that off when you're working on something that you care about and is important and you feel like you're not making a difference and you're, you can't figure out why. Um, it's, almost more, it's almost more frustrating than... Um, not working on it at all. Like, <laughs> mm -hmm. you feel I can make a difference, and I'm somehow not able to for some reason. It could be really yeah, and that's why it's, frustrating. It's important to balance that training as well, right? So one piece is, is just 
completing projects and hitting numbers. But the other side is the training, so actually getting people to learn these structured problem-solving techniques so that they can actually apply those to their work, whether it's in small ways or large ways, but that they have confidence that things are going to get better, that they're going to change. Having that management commitment to see maybe those little things like getting a headset. Okay, they are committed. We are going to be different this time. It's not the same as it's been before. And um, you know, that's why I'm excited to start to work with teams again and to be able to see some of those changes, offering that training. I know through Lean Portland I have training this month. I'll probably put some on the calendar for next month or July as well um, to do uh, some free talk about those, Lean Six Sigma. What are the sure. You're going to cover. Yeah. So uh, May 20th, uh, tomorrow is the first one. I'll, I'll probably offer it maybe in June or July once I get some feedback from tomorrow's event. And that one's just a simple exercise where we look for low-hanging fruit in our processes by using downtime, identifying waste in our processes, and get a nice list together of improvements that we could possibly go after, you know, right after the event. So that, that one's tomorrow. It's an hour and a half. Uh, on the 21st, I'm going to do a training. All of these are through Lean Portland on Eventbrite. Uh, on the 21st, it's going to be looking at that champion interview. So what are the, some of the questions that you want to talk to management about to really understand uh, whether this project is going to be viable and sustainable if you do move it forward? And then next week on the 27th, I'm actually going through the input process output diagram, so doing a workshop just on how to complete that activity. Really good activity for anybody that's going to take on a continuous improvement project. Uh, it's going to help you break down what the process is and understand what that value is, what are the measures that you might want to see change, where you can go after some of that data, get you started on, on identifying maybe what those root causes are or where you can look for information on those root causes, as well as it's a stepping stone if you want to do something more advanced like a SIPOC or a turtle diagram. That's a fun activity we're going to do next week. And like I said, uh, I expect to have some on the calendar for June and July as well. Uh, anything else? It's been great. Yeah, it's been great getting to chat with you and, and, and talk about some of these challenges. Um, like I said, I just started uh, kicking off Beautiful Opportunities, a continuous improvement consulting firm. So uh, we're looking to offer Lean Six Sigma training and uh, consulting. Uh, project mentoring and execution, and you can connect with me at azim at beopportunity.com. It's A-Z-I-M at bravoechoopportunity.com uh, if you want more information. And um, I think in July we'll probably have our first workbook that, that's going to be released, which will be looking at uh, 12 exercises, so like a quarter of exercises that you could do, one per week, 30 minutes to an hour that you could spend with your teams, uh, identifying ways to improve or start to get some of that vernacular into your organization. So I'm hoping that's something that managers or new yellow belts or green belts would be able to use uh, with their teams to just get used to utilizing some of these tools and starting to kickstart these conversations about improvement, uh, especially to organizations maybe that don't have as much access uh, to large consulting firms or some of the bigger um, uh, capital-intensive ways of gaining continuous improvement insights. And I'll add in email address too. How about LinkedIn? Do you use that much? 
Yeah, yeah, on LinkedIn, I'm Amanda Zimmerman LSS is my handle on there. I also have Instagram at B Opportunity, and we'll have the website up uh, in June at beopportunity.com. Okay, I'll add Instagram yep. and LinkedIn as well. Awesome. So no excuses for anyone not to be. <laughs> Got plenty of yeah, I hope today. not. All right. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Brian. It's been great chatting. Yeah, thank you. Yep, and we'll continue to yeah. chat, I'm sure, many, many times. All right, thanks for your time. Thank you. Have a great day. Are you interested in learning more about Lean and Six Sigma? Or are you looking to expand your existing skills to apply them to environmental impacts at your work or in the local community? Check out our free online course called Lean Six Sigma and the Environment on thinkific.com. We'll teach you about the Lean Forms of Waste and Waste Walks, which stands for Water, Air Emissions, Solid Waste, Toxins, and Energy. We'll go over examples of reducing electricity and solid waste, teach you how to involve your facilities and environment safety and health personnel. We'll provide guidance on how to green your 5S and Lean Kaizen events and many other tools specific to finding environmental opportunities. Learn more at LeanSixSigmaEnvironment.org.